0: Wait for it, wait for it, and we're live! Hey all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blaze Podcast. Just a couple of nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. We are the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction. So without further ado, first we gotta address the monster in the room, the elephant in the room, whatever. There's something in a room somewhere uh, this is the beginning of season four, and we appreciate you sticking with us uh, through the season. You notice Stabby isn't here. Nick did not fire her. I promise. She still cooks no, she's still
1: cooking. No, she's
0: not fired. Um, but we're filming this in December, and you know she has Christmassy housewife stuff to do. Apparently, that's her moonlight job when she's not stabbing Nick. So, well, I mean,
1: she can't be all, you know, ghoulish all the time. She it, she loves Christmas, so it's like, oh, I see a different side of you in December every year.
0: Yeah, but so. she takes Christmas to a goth level. So, uh, not as much as you think,
1: like right after Thanksgiving, she started getting in with like the Hallmark Christmas movies. I mean, like how can you, how many, how many times can you see a city girl go out to the country and then dump her city boyfriend for the, you
0: know, the lumberjack from, who she happened to go lumberjack. to high school with. Yeah.
1: yeah. From, from her little small town, you know, I, all like right.
0: A so, as a nod to, uh, to the wives and the ladies that listen we might have to suffer through a Hallmark uh, Christmas episode for uh, season four. <laughs> Shoot me now. We've got we've got twelve months to, to you know have the Hallmark Channel crash and burn and fall apart, right? It's fingers- Never gonna fall apart. No, but fingers crossed. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. All right, sir. With that out of the way, dear listener, dear viewer, thank you for coming back for a fourth season. It means a lot to us. Seriously, from the bottom of our cold dead hearts, we love you all. Uh, and with that being said. Arnold Montgomery, can you please introduce yourself to our listeners and viewers at home?
2: Sure, no problem. And and JR and Nick, thanks for having me on. I'm uh, really excited to be here and uh, to be a part of your uh, your show. And uh, I am Arnold Montgomery. I'm a retired army officer, Uh, retired about a little over, uh, probably about 10 or 11 years ago. And oh, uh, knew I wanted to be a, a writer uh a long time and had a lot of those ideas spinning around and then finally uh one day i just sat down uh and uh started writing and uh uh was lucky enough to come up with something that uh a publisher liked uh my friends at uh, three ravens publishing and uh it's uh titled uh battlefield missouri and uh it's a uh uh, story uh, about well, it's it's a I guess you'd call it a, a techno thriller with a little bit of, of uh, paranormal thrown in, uh, but it's it's not your your real you, most most techno thrillers or most terrorism movies that you see. It's Washington D.C., it's New York, it's the Super Bowl, it's L.A. Well. You know, I I put my my scenario in a different place, in a place that most people haven't haven't heard of, and I think that's why it's a little bit different. And I think people will like it because of that. You know, once they once they understand it. So, um, but uh, it goes that the book goes live on December eighth, and uh, I'm really looking forward to it. And I hope I hope people like it because I really only wrote it for one purpose—to entertain. I just wanted people to have a good time reading it, and uh, uh, if they do like it, that's just wonderful. I'll, I'll, I've got this uh, a sequel, pretty much in my head, you know, thinking about, and uh, I've got a uh, another techno thriller that's I've probably half to three quarters done with that one, you know, that I'll hope hopefully get out, and again, just wanted to tell a story and allow people to get escapism and have fun, you know, here. So, so hopefully that's what'll happen, you know, on December 8th. So,
0: so you have mentioned that you, uh, you were in the military, so we're going to go a little bit out of order, but um, we ask all of our veterans that turn authors, these questions, or creators, these questions, because not everyone's an author anymore. Nick has Mm -hmm. his comic people lined up for season four, but. uh, I'm now an author though. You are, you are in your own right. And you're working on a novel too, I'm told. Uh, you yeah, actually uh, haven't admitted that I just told you this on the spot so now you have to because it's out there
1: no I'm pretty sure I, I said it at one point I was probably drinking
2: would, too much I would think a, a comic a comic book artist is also an author I think that's very valid
1: yeah. Um, yeah probably count them as a director too because we control where the camera goes and right there's yeah. a lot of stuff that goes in with it and then there's sometimes I have to like like oh that dialogue is horrible. What was the writer thinking? Hold on, I can fix this. I can make it
0: shorter and still punch. So, um, do you feel like your time in the army affects the way you tell stories? That unique perspective. Uh,
2: certainly, uh, because I guess one of the one of the, and you guys probably know this too, is is it seems like people don't. Ninety nine percent of the people in the United States, unless you're a veteran, they don't know anything about it. You know, I mean, I, I've had people think that in my career I lived I lived in a tent my whole career. You know, I mean, hey, you were in the middle. <laughs> yeah, you must have loved camping. Oh, no, no. And, hated
0: camping for me.
2: That's, <laughs> why did ruin I, camping. that's why I joined the military, because I, mean, I, I loved camping. No. So I, I guess as I. know when i when i read books or i or i watch hollywood movies that somehow include the military unfortunately i i almost always notice what's wrong or what's impossible or you know what could never happen and so as i wrote this book i tried to be as realistic as possible but still be entertaining you know i mean i wanted it so i guess I guess in saying how I tell a story, I guess I try to tell a story that a non-veteran would read and say, "Oh, well, that's how that's how it really is," you know. Um, I mean, you know, we don't we don't jump out of airplanes with no parachutes on, and you know that type of stuff. And uh, I mean, we don't, you know, we don't go into buildings and with you know one magazine kill a hundred you know, enemy, you know, just this, that stuff just doesn't happen. It happens in Hollywood. It doesn't happen, you know, in real life. So
0: actually, sir, I have it on good authority that there is one special super secret MOS in the army that can kill a hundred people with one rag, one uh, magazine of rounds. Oh, what's that? Is that a joke? The cooks. Oh, the cooks. (laughs) Death from within. Death from within. See the the way it works is the the once they eat the food they just beg for the bullet so they can end it themselves. Yeah, it's like oh what? my god, it's worse than Taco Tuesday at Taco Bell.
2: I I don't want to be I don't want to be terrible, but do they still call? Do you guys do they still call the cooks spoons? Yeah, they did yeah. when I was
0: in, yeah. but I got out no seven officially, It's medically retired. Oh, okay. And Nick, when did you yeah. get out?
1: Uh, twenty fourteen yeah. was my official. Uh, date.
0: So. We we aren't the most current of of times. A lot has changed. Like when I was in, I don't remember them ever calling the Marine the Crown jokes. That happened when I got out sometime. Oh, I mean, I still tell the, the jokes about the The jokes about the crane eaters. Fun. Oh, crane eaters.
2: Oh, okay. That that crane. Crane.
0: Right. Crayolas. Uh,
2: oh, crayon eaters. Okay.
1: Yeah, crayon <laughs> eaters.
2: Nick is. I got is
1: a
0: bit that, of an accent. Is that 80 second <laughs> hat like Banworthy? I don't know. What do you mean? Should we, should we put the the Screaming Eagle up for him just to get it? Yeah. You
1: know? okay. <laughs> no. But why would we put the kicking chicken on there?
0: Because that's hey, my second, he's all American man. Yes, but but they didn't run gun trucks up and down the uh, route Irish with me. Anyway.
1: Oh well, then put third ID up there, Rock of the Marne, man.
0: I, I like got that answer.
2: First, uh, well, thank you, thank you. It, it's a,
0: it's a running joke between the two of us. He he's a eighty second boy.
2: Oh are uh, you, you were uh, JR said you were a ranger and uh yeah I was in uh, 275 sir okay.
1: He's just
0: an apologist for the for the 82nd I think's what we would call him a heretic I am? Yeah, I've I've heard no, you joke
1: No do not make me say things to this man this colonel
0: Yeah I I'm
1: going to regret about the 82nd airborne there's a rivalry yeah. between 275 and the 82nd
0: yeah. Anyway. All right, before we bore our audience who has no idea what the hell we're talking about and I'm just trying to a start a fight for the fun of it. <laughs> so I can grab the popcorn. It didn't work. Nick didn't take the bait, people. No, I'm not right. taking the bait.
1: You can't control me anymore with that with emotions, JR. I've reached zen. <laughs> zen.
0: So Arnold, when you when you write now, do you ever draw from people you served with when you write characters?
2: Oh, um sometimes i mean uh, i take pieces of people that i've served with uh you know and kind of maybe combine them together but um i read a i read a lot i'm, I'm a voracious reader and uh so i i get a lot from the books that i read and then i also i also read a lot of nonfiction uh, about world war ii and uh, well primarily world war ii so I Same. take a lot of a lot of things from those books. Uh, and I think if you guys ever read Band of Brothers or you saw uh, yes, the Band of Brothers serial, uh the, the TV show, well, I mean one well, of well, one of the scenarios that I put in the in the book was uh similar to what happened uh to one of the to what one of the officers did in bands of band of brothers, uh basically where he had to charge through the battlefield to get to a beleaguered unit you know and i mean i mean that stuff just impresses you so much you read about something like that and you're like oh my gosh you know i have to write something similar you know because that's it's just you know astounding and then uh the rangers in somalia uh you know where they literally had to run out of the out yeah, of the mode. end of the battle. I mean, you know, the, the, the Pakistanis came in and put the wounded in the vehicles and there wasn't enough room. Okay. We got to run out off the battlefield a couple of miles. You know, you, you read about things like that in real life and you're just like, oh my gosh, I have to somehow uh, put that something similar into a book to emulate that Uh, as well as the strange stuff. You know, I mean, I'm sure you guys have a uh, a million weird stories of what happened to you in in uh, Iraq, you know, and and things again that no no veteran would never understand, and and so I try to also incorporate those strange things into the writing too, this so that people understand, you know, that or 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 see something and go, you know, wow, could could that really happen? Well, yeah, it really can happen. I mean, you know, so, I mean.
0: When I was in, when I wrote my first novel, I was writing it, a military science fiction universe, but it was for, the guy I was writing for was British and a civilian. Um, he relied on research. And I remember one of the scenes I wrote in there, uh, he wrote me back. He's like, JR, you got to take this out. It's not believable. And I'm like, what are you talking about? It's not believable. It happened to me. And uh, and he's like, I, I I believe you, but the, the audience is going to call BS because they won't believe it. Yeah. So I had to take yeah. some of that stuff out there. I remember uh we were doing our one of our right seat rides and we we still had the um what's the polite way of saying the armor we added ourselves the derogatory terms we used to say it are no longer politically correct but we had the armor we did ourselves in in 05 and i remember i leaned down to light my cigar at the same time the driver leaned down as we were driving to grab a Gatorade from the cooler, and an RPG went through our window, out in one side and out the other. Oh. Literally like half a second's difference, it hit something enough that lights. Because it's uh, RPGs, yeah. if you don't know, it's the impact that sets them off. So it, it just had to ding the glass a little bit, and it would have exploded, and we'd have been no more. Yeah. Like literally, that was a once in a, I should have played the lottery that day.
2: Yeah.
0: I, and those stories aren't that uncommon. I, I could name a hundred of my friends that had similar- I,
1: I've got yeah. two RPG stories that nobody in the civilian world believes.
0: Yeah, yeah, I could still hear that whistle in my sleep. In his very, one
1: I was, yeah. it was in the morning. I was in the latrine doing my morning constitutional, and uh, an RPG round went right through the window, which was sandbag. Went right through that, didn't explode. Banged off the wall by the entrance and spun around. You and guys are coming in. They're you, like, "Oh, what's going on?" And I. Cause there was like shower curtains for the doors and i lean over and I'm like, well, we're not dead. <laughs> <laughs>
2: you, so you guys going. have got, you guys have got me beat. I've, I have not had that close a call with an RPG. Uh, I, I was in desert storm. Uh, and, uh, we were, I was, we were probably a hundred miles in Iraq at this point. And, uh, we had found a, a unit and we were loggering with this unit. And it was, I don't know, 10 o'clock at night. And so I'm literally standing outside my vehicle getting ready to to, to rack out. And and I look up. Oh, I just happened to look up, and we were in the middle of a sandstorm. And I happened to look up, and an artillery burst, a, a shell burst, an air burst happened, oh, I'm guessing 500 feet over this, battalion oh wow and nobody else saw it nobody heard it there was no noise but it was i swear it was an artillery airburst and what do you do you know you just well oh, yeah. i guess i gotta go to sleep you know so i mean yeah you know, it's just yeah, things it's- that people don't know that that happens yeah. in wartime. yeah so
0: that makes me this is going to lead into the next question, but it makes me th- some of those experience when you see in the movies where the the almost death scene happens and they have the most perfectly crafted witty response.
2: Yeah, and
0: I'm like, mm, no, they're going to say something base and stupid. Like the the time the I went to the porta potty realized there was no toilet paper in there and I forgot mine, so I left to go back to my truck to get my toilet paper. I was maybe 25 yards from the porta potty when a mortar la- round landed in the porta potty. And you would think if this was Hollywood, I would have had something super cool. And all I could think was, that would have been a shitty way to go. Yeah. Yeah. And that's about that's, the – That's better brain than brain. what
1: Hollywood would have put
0: out. You know? I know because yeah. it's not believable because of that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Just like that scene. Well, yeah. Have you seen that famous New York Times picture where the guy's out on the firing line in Afghanistan wearing battle rattle, no clothes, but he's wearing the heart boxer shorts?
1: Yeah. That oh, yeah. famous
0: picture. Like, if yeah. you wrote about it and you didn't have the picture, people were like, oh, no, that didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Happens quite a bit. Yeah. yeah. So which yeah. leads me to the question. We've talked about how, yeah. you know, all of us our service kind of in, impacts how we think about the the combat type stuff in books. Has it affected the way you engage with content, be it stories, movies, comics, all the things? Your time in the army?
2: What do you mean by engage with content? You mean
0: so as a reader, uh player of the games, um watcher of the movie. So as someone who's consuming it instead of creating it.
2: Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, I, I struggle sometimes with watching um, a realistic or a, uh, uh, if it's a real documentary on what's going on, what was going on in Afghanistan or what was going on in Iraq um and they're taking casualties I I really can't watch that anymore
0: yeah
2: um, yeah because me yeah, I mean I I finished my career and uh um then you know literally a couple of years later started getting sick and uh you know uh, you guys have talked uh I think in others where you 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 know you deal with PTSD stuff I don't know if I had if I had PTSD or I have PTSD or or it's something different, but I definitely was was struggling mentally um, uh, with anxiety and depression, and and I found that I I really you know uh, I just couldn't watch soldiers you know being being hurt. Uh, if 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 I could watch you know uh, a World War propaganda movie that was you know like I said the things that don't really happen. Yeah. I could handle that because, because I knew it wasn't real, but anything that would approached real, I, I struggled with that, especially if it was, 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 you know, with injuries. So like, I've never seen the movie, the Hurt Locker. Um, and, and a lot of the others that have come out recently, I, I haven't, I haven't seen them and, and I don't really know too much about them, you know, but, um, you know, I can I can watch something fun, but, um, you know, I try to I try to watch things that make me happy versus something that'll make me sad. So, yeah. And, yeah. And, and even even the, my reading, even though I'm reading a historical a nonfiction book talking about World War Two, if they start going into how the POWs were treated or casualties they suffered and like sometimes I'll flip through those pages quickly to to try to get to try to get away with that but if I can get you know where it's talking about somebody's heroism or somebody's great idea and how they did something well then I'm then I'm fine then I'm okay you know so so uh, you know I I I hope I'm not turning anybody off but it's it's something I need to do you know to keep my to keep my sense right. of being You know, yeah, and I I suspect you guys probably do something similar, yeah.
1: Yeah, um, like, I can watch movies like The Hurt Locker because I know it's fiction, and then when I watched it originally, I was throwing the bullshit flag left and right. Yeah. I'm like, oh, hell no, oh, hell no, 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 no. who who wrote this? I'm going to send them some mail that they're not, gonna. we're going to have a conversation they're not going to enjoy very much, you know?
2: Yeah. I, I heard that. Heard that about the movie. I, I thought that was was kind of funny, you know. So.
1: But is it? It's it's an entertaining movie. Yeah, I mean, it it does a lot of things that, uh, that a lot of soldiers that were on ground around that time wished they could do, you know, because yeah. we all did. It all revolves around like an interpreter, you know, and then that ter- interpreter gets into trouble because, um, you know, he's helping the Americans, so. It's a good story. It's, yeah. They try yeah. to make it realistic and all that, but I'm like, D- no, no, no EOD is going to shoot a set of ordnance with a 50 cal, with a sniper rifle, with the Barrett. No, it's not going to mm-hmm. happen. Plus, you, you totally, there's misinformation about how, how easy that Barrett is to fire because it's not. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is, it is a hard piece of equipment. It's freaking heavy. And this guy's just carrying around like it's like, like his knapsack, you know, and I'm just like, oh, okay. Yeah. I'm just going to focus on the story because if I focus on what's wrong with this movie, I'm not going to enjoy it. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'm but, not, it, but it's a fun
0: little film. I know EOD wouldn't do some of the things he did, but a couple of board privates that don't want to wait for EOD might or might not hypothetically, not my unit. Totally take the 50 cal in their turret and decide to shoot the IED that was daisy chained for one, five, five rounds.
1: Yeah. So, That's like,
0: uh, not well, Hey Sergeant Garber, can we just shoot at it? I'm like, no, we're just seeing the t- with his All I, I heard is- in a Boston accent was, "Hey, watch this shit," and then boom, and then we were like rocked.
1: Like, oh, don't get me wrong; when I was had certain missions where I had to carry the parrot. Yeah. yeah, I'm not even from Boston, but that Boston accent came out real quick. Yeah, he's
0: oh, yeah. <laughs> like, like he "Hey, he spot watch this shit," something. you know. <laughs> Every time we saw action, this kid thought he was in the IRA. I don't know what that was about.
1: Oh God. But,
0: uh, I don't know. We are um, 20 minutes in, and I have been remiss because we talked Army talk, and we love to do that, Nick and I. Hey, our fans got- love that stuff. They do. They do. But We love we've got- it. Great. Hey, we've got the religion questions for you, Arnold. Are you ready for this? Sure. Go ahead. Star Wars, Star Trek, or Firefly?
2: Star Trek. And
0: Okay.
2: I'll explain. Star Trek, I think they call it the original series, the 1960s yeah. series, because... Yeah. TOS, uh, the original Yeah, series. I just love Captain Kirk. You know, William Shatner is Captain Kirk, and Mister Spock, and oh my gosh, uh, I just consumed that stuff as a teenager, and I still watch it whenever, whenever I can. Uh, and I, I gotta tell you, I mean, I, I, I think, I suspect how he led as a captain of the enterprise probably influenced me as how I led as an army officer, you know, through my wait, career, wait, wait. you know, does that
0: mean there are a lot of little Arnold Montgomery's running around with every alien
2: women or anything like that. It's just,
1: Oh, the Andorians. That's my favorite species.
2: Yeah. How he just dealt with his subordinates. Oh gosh. One of my, one of my favorite episodes is when he, Uh, they're surrounded and the the enterprise has got like a million, a million uh, enemy facing them. And, and Kirk walks up to Spock and, and he goes, what's your recommendation? And Spock goes, well, we probably need to surrender. And, and Kirk just blows up, you know, furious. That's your recommendation. You know? Oh, I just, I just love that episode. And, And I really do like the way he dealt with his crew and dealt with his his subordinates and uh i just i just really like that show the the other one i like is the one that had uh, uh jolene blaylock as the uh uh the uh vulcan woman uh uh who was on the oh
1: enterprise the, Yeah,
2: the, is that what it's called enterprise that yeah show.
1: enterprise It was supposed to be like the first Chris the first Indies. one
2: yes yeah i like that show too but, one. but yeah yeah i was a so, big fan
1: of that show but i, I like it too. Too. Was it true. had the, um, really the quantum
0: leap that. guy. What's that? Uh it had the geez, quantum leap is guy is the mean? captain. Um boot uh, Scott Bakula. Yeah, Scott Bakula, Backula. there we go. Yeah. yeah. So what's great
1: about that show is that it showed that, that Starfleet had a military. The Makos. Yeah. And I love the Makos. I thought they were cool. Oh, yeah. 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 Well and I like I, the, uh, I,
0: the uh I like the the country Texas guy they had as the uh engine man, or engineer, I guess you would say. The engineer, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, I oh,
2: like yeah. that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Texas an engineer from Texas? What? Yeah.
2: <laughs> I like the original series because you know, it said the Enterprise is a starship, but I always thought the Enterprise was a warship. And and I like that. Now Star Trek Next Generation, which I like that show too, but they they were like, you know, oh, we're this is an exploration vessel. Yeah, okay, sure. You know, but Yeah. I, I thought the the original one, man, they were a they were a warship first and then a exploration vessel. Oh, yeah.
1: They were yeah. fighting Romulans, Andorans, Klingons. Um,
2: exactly, yeah.
1: yeah. Oh, well, so I mean, like, yeah, they were they were um like their task order was a warship.
2: Yeah. Uh, I they
1: think were. I want to see a show in between Enterprise and that where they got rid of the Makos and just made Starfleet. Like we're just gonna equip them. Yeah. Um we're gonna adjust the metal here. Now they're a warship because they're gonna have photon torpedoes and blasters yeah. and all this other crazy stuff.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah. I, I really loved it when that when yeah. Captain Kirk and the Enterprise went out to kick some ass. That that was those were my favorite shows. Yeah. So yeah. the away no.
1: team, uh, the three core, you know, crew, and then like five guys in red shirts that red shirts. we're never gonna see you again.
0: <laughs> <laughs> beautiful memes. Like, uh, if the red shirts in the Starship or no, uh, Star Wars Star stormtroopers Troopers got in a fight, um, does the Star Wars, Stormtroopers miss and they still miss everything will and
1: the red shirts will still die? <laughs> right? I think it's like the paradox.
0: So, at least, wrote up make, a whole yeah. scientific the- theory uh, on how that could work because a paradox must be maintained. That's the name of the article. If you look it up, the paradox, well, you can look maintained.
1: up, uh, as Doctor Who would explain, it's a fixed point in time.
0: It had to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So, and because we are polytheistic over here at the uh, Blasters and Blades, you've got the Game of Thrones, the Wheel of Time, or Chronicles of Narnia. Uh,
2: okay, so Game of Thrones, Wheel Narnia, of and Wheel of Time. <laughs> yes, sir. Probably Game of Thrones, but I've only seen literally two episodes of Game of Thrones, and I've never never watched narnia or read the book and i've never seen the uh, wheel of time show so so all sorry. of those are books
0: and movies so um yeah they are the kind of big dogs in the in the field house so to speak when it comes to fantasy um so yeah okay i think and previously
2: we, you had uh you had uh lord of the rings in there
0: we did but it just wasn't fair to everyone else
2: because everyone um, picked
0: Lord of the Rings. everyone picked. It was just like, yeah. okay, he's going to ask the question. They're going to say Lord of the Rings. So I found uh, one of the readers suge- or listeners suggested um, Narnia, because it's contemporary to the Lord of the Rings. It has that same kind of large audience.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, we were looking mostly for iconic that they could engage with in either film or print, because it made it sort of more inclusive to our audience. Um, whereas if you just pick some obscure book that they might not have heard of, if they're not super readers mm-hmm or the same if you go like art house films mm-hmm. it doesn't really like get the point across so.
2: mm-hmm.
0: all right now the most important question um for you sir are you ready for the last one sure because we are civilized human beings here at the blasters and blade podcast we are no longer knuckle-dragging troglodytes coffee mm. or tea and how do you well ish and the ish is doing a lot of heavy lifting uh coffee or tea and how do you take it
2: caffeine free sweet tea I, I'm. I'm not. I, again, part my deteriorating body. I'm not able to handle caffeine anymore. Oh, which I, which I hate because I love, caffeinated beverages. But, uh, in you know, in order to, be around for my spouse and family, I I, I drink uh, caffeine free. Good whiskey.
1: old table wine. Yeah, no. iced or
2: hot. Oh no, iced iced tea. Yeah.
0: Okay. What kind of question yeah. is that, Chair? You know better. He might have hung out with the Brits, he might have corrupted him. Heretic. Heretic. Although, since we spoke about Boston, uh, you know, you could always toss it in the harbor if you get frisky. To bring bring it all back. Go old school, right?
1: It's old school. Yeah, better luck with beer. Yeah,
0: uh, uh, so do you, you drink beer, or are you not able to drink that anymore either?
2: No, I can't drink that anymore either, so. But that's all right. That's all right, so. I got my
1: future self sad. Yeah. I'm
2: going yeah. able
1: to enjoy that anymore. Yeah. It's like, oh, it gives me heartburn. My dad used yeah. to say that. Like, pound a couple of Budweiser's like, oh, I'm getting heartburn. I'm like, oh, that's my future.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, before we dive into talking about the book that brought us here, since okay. we're at the halfway mark, we're going to actually remember the commercial this time, and we're going to roll that beautiful footage. Across a thousand battlefields and a million wars, there is always a question. What do you do when all the chips are on the table? Do you run? Try to find salvation in the arms of an easy piece? Or do you stand and fight, and send your enemies into whatever hole they crawled out of? On Deadly Ground, a heroic Last Stand anthology, has ten stories addressing that question. Each character faces the impossible in different ways, but all will be tested before the day is done. Can they earn a heroic victory amongst the endless eternity of space, or are they doomed to fall into obscurity?
1: Doomed. Doomed, I say. I still love that art. It's a starship with an X-wing killing a Death Star, doing a trench run. I I still like that stuff.
2: That was a great commercial.
0: Thank you. Thank you. So uh, that's actually put out by BayNet Books, uh, my imprint. And uh, I actually told the artist, um, Jamie Glover, who, who stepped away because, you know, he made a few babies and he had to get a real job. Um, but pity. yeah, he's an amazing artist. And I told him that as a joke when I asked him for what the cover was, because normally if I gave him the title and I gave him the theme, like he just got creative. I found with other creatives, if you just give them like the idea, sometimes they can surprise you. Whereas if you try to give them too narrow of a request, you, you kind of hem them in. Mm-hmm. And so when I said that as a joke, he's like, bet. I got you. And bet I got like, you. Just, just don't sue me. Right. And then he showed me the cover. I'm like, I think he thought I was going to say no. And it was just all in good fun. But I liked it. I'm like, dude, we're keeping this. This is it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It's a good cover.
2: I think it's great. So, yeah, that, that was a beautiful cover. Were you worried it was too much like Star Wars?
0: Uh, it's different enough. I ran it through Nick because he he's used to um, the visual oh, IP.
1: infringement. Uh, yeah, I've, I've so, had way too many battles in
0: that arena. So he looked at it, and he's like, no, you're okay, and this is why. And so it definitely qualifies legally as an homage and not a um, just a straight theft. Because he mixed and matched everything, the artist did. And it's just so pretty. Yeah. That's the background of my computer, my wallpaper. Is it really? Yeah, it's lovely. <laughs> I alternate between that one and the Monster Within uh, anthology, which you also have a story in. Um, uh, wait, which story do I have now? I, I'll pull it up later. I'll show you. And uh, we, we'll we get you on to talk about it since you don't remember. And I'm going to make you read your own dang story. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Speaking of lovely covers, we're going to show this one. Yeah, let's so, get this uh, one. Hey. I understand you did not use the in-house cover artist, the Three Ravens. Uh, fine affiliate of the Blaster and Blaze podcast. Have you, uh, you had a, a special source make your cover. So can yeah. you tell us the story of this piece of art?
2: Well, that uh, basically... I my daughter did it for me. My daughter is a oh. graphic designer, um, pretty good graphic designer, and I told her what I wanted, and and I'll I'll kind of I'll kind of tell you why I why I chose this because um, again I, I think I told you I, I said you know I'm not setting it in Washington D.C. or New York or L.A. and and um, it's well, let me ask you guys a question. You guys are, are U.S. Army vets. Were you, When you guys were in Iraq, were you aware of the depots that existed, the, the Army depots that existed in the United States
0: that were yeah. sending
2: you Humvees and ammunition and
0: uh, medical stuff? I, I knew they existed because I had to sign for some of that stuff because I was escorting convoys. Uh, yeah. If you were infantry in Iraq after the initial invasion, the joke was you were either hooking or cooking, you're running convoys or you were working in the DFAC, checking yeah. IDs, uh, the convoy escort platform, hooking or cooking. I know I'm really creative that way, people. But uh, And so we saw some of the names, but nothing I'd ever heard of, to be honest. Yeah, uh, It's not something they really talk about. I mean, everyone's heard of demos um, for like, like where they buy the bad stuff that's been out processed and you can buy it as a civilian.
2: Yeah. Is that right. what it's called,
0: Nick? You know what I'm talking about? Is it Demos? The Demos? What's the what's the acronym? Uh, uh,
2: we I they've changed you,
1: them like 90 times since I've been. Yeah, there. they
2: do. I think for for a while they were called DRMO defense. Yeah, Radio. yeah, yeah. That's
0: it. That's it. Yeah. DRMO.
2: Yeah, I don't know what oh, yeah, called, yeah. yeah, Dermo. Yeah, but uh so so and, and you guys did what? Did you guys like serve with uh, Iraqis when you were over there? I Any did. Iraqi fighters? Yeah, Mil- yeah actually had, uh, military trying to train. Yeah, the
1: Wolf Brigade was uh, ones that were always attached to us. They were kind of like their special forces.
2: Yeah. Okay.
1: Or Rangers, maybe because they weren't doing anything all that special. They were doing special stuff with us, who were doing special yeah. stuff. So yeah, um, yeah uh, had to vet them a lot. You know before we would take them on yeah and uh I don't know by the end of it like like we trusted each other with our lives which was well that's good was not on my bingo card in 2004
2: so sure yeah well I mean I I I've got tours in Korea and I've got I I served in Germany and I I've served with the in actual Korean army units and I served with the British and the Germans and You know, um, when I was in uh, my tour in Germany, I went into I was in the Bosnia operation and I got to go around and I got to see former Soviet bases. And I got to see former Yugoslav bases and Hungarian bases, which was at, you know, only a few years prior were part of the Warsaw Pact. And so uh, I quickly realized that, you know. Our enemies really can't hold a candle to us. We we use the term near peer. I don't know if yeah. you guys have heard that, but you know, yeah. they, they talk about Russia and they talk. We talk about China as near peers. Well, after what I in my career, what I got to see of my enemies, I don't think they're near peers, and 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 I think this Ukraine war is proving that out. I mean, I don't know. Maybe China will surprise us, but Russia and Ukraine proved that Russia is not a near peer. You know, three three U.S. Army divisions over there would solve that crisis oh, yeah. in, about, in about, you know, two months, probably. Yeah, or three long. heavy mixed brigades
1: done yeah. in 24 hours.
2: Right, exactly. And, and the same with our allies. I love our allies. I mean, I love the Brits. I love the Germans. I love the South Koreans and the Japanese. But even they have a hard time keeping up with us right so so as i started formulating my my scenario of of a uh of a techno thriller i kind of was saying you know any of our uh, opponents who wanted to really really have a chance of slowing us down w- wouldn't try to come at us head on, you know, but would go to our heartland and go after our, our depots, our ports, our airfields, you know, and, and just try to, you know, that's the only way they can slow us down. They can't stop a, a combined arms brigade. They can't stop a mechanized division. They can't do it. They can't stop our air, our air, our, uh, our F-15s and F-35s and F-22s. So the only way an opponent could come at us and and possibly be successful, I think, would be to come after our, our internal strategic uh logistics capabilities. And so that's what I that's how I wrote this book. And it, it also didn't hurt, you know, the fact that I, you know, I was writing what I knew, which is you know, depots. And I'll tell you, in the three depots that I was at, I always had, seemed like we always had weird things going on, weird people showing up at the gate, you know, a, a crisis might be happening somewhere. And next thing you know, I got some weirdos at the front gate, you know, and, uh, and and so I always had this in the back of my mind, man, I sure hope those are just a bunch of weirdos and not, you know somebody related to a Spetsnaz team or something like that. Now, luckily, they all turned out to be be just a bunch of weirdos. But Hmm. so that's how I formulated, you know, my book is that basically, you know, somebody figured out, let's try going at the United States this way and see what we can do. Um, Also, in those three installations, I I was, I commanded, I, I had one in Kansas. I had one in uh, Utah, and I had one in Missouri. They all had strange animals, like the one I. And and these depots are very very rural. They were built that way in World War II, you know, because in World War II we literally in 1940 and 41 we literally thought the Germans were going to come up to the coast and bombard us with 16 inch you know shells off of battleships. So most of these depots were built in Middle America, you know, far away from the coast, and and they're very very rural, most of them, because again they had ammunition or they had the needs for large areas and things like that. So the the installation I had in in uh, Kansas, I I I was out jogging and all stuff like that. All my employees would say, they'd say, "Hey, Major Montgomery, you better be careful," and I'd say, "Why?" What's going on? They said, well, we've seen a couple of uh, Panthers. I'm like, no, you know, yeah, we've seen Panthers, you know. So my one in Utah was a uh, uh, purple, um, what's the little uh, armadillo, purple armadillo. And basically that was a- Stinky thing. Yeah, that was an employee basically doing a prank, you know, but my installation in Missouri Uh, I had two retired employees at at some event come and said, and and both of them were not related or anything like that. And they both, I ended up meeting both and talking to both and they both swore up and down that in the 1970s, they had run-ins with Bigfoot on that installation on that very, very large installation. So that's where the, that's where I added the cryptid in, into my story. And, and plus, uh, as I write about um, the installation, and I don't know if you guys have had a chance to read, um, you know, basically these installations are secured with, you know, 9 millimeter sidearms and shotguns. Yeah. That's it. There's, there's no M16s, there's no saws there's times that we have a depot
1: in California in Stockton. Yeah. Um, yeah. Nothing more than uh, a nine millimeter at the gate, show them yeah. an ID card oh, and yeah. go through.
2: That's that's like, exactly no higher defense. Yeah. So so you know, as you're right, as I'm writing, and and uh, you guys have heard this probably a million times, you you start writing, and then next thing you know, your your brain has taken you where well, I kept, I kept writing, you know, I kept writing, well, how am I, if if I've got only nine millimeters and I've only got shotguns, how, how is this organization going to survive? And then I kind of realized, well, I'm going to have to have help, you know, I'm going to have to have help from a cryptid, you know, to, to, to help us, to help us survive, you know? So, so that's where, that's how I incorporated that into, into the book. So, but, uh, um it 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 was a it was just a lot of fun you know writing and uh, um because I I think I kind of educated people on this is you know this is what these places are they're massive massive places and and uh you know the hogs you know the wild hogs that's all true they're they're overrun with wild hogs and we would spend a lot of time and effort to try to kill these hogs. And, and we have, you know, my installation and in, that I had in, in Missouri, I, it was this, it was either, either the number one or number two largest railroad in the department of defense. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, people just, people don't realize that stuff. So I, I kind of brought that out. And I think I, I hopefully set it, as setting it into this into this scenario, I've kind of hopefully will intrigue people because it's not New York City, it's not Washington DC. It's yeah, not rural America. Bowl. Yeah, it's not the Super Bowl. It's it's something different. And and then my protagonist, Captain Jack Black Eagle, he has to figure out how to survive and defeat these terrorists as well as keep his family safe and you know at, at, and 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 and, and when I was there in these installations and I had these weirdos showing up the gate, I was thinking these things. You know, I, I was what I did was I, I, I made sure I was very, very good friends with the local law enforcement. I tried to contact the local National Guard, you know, and make sure, hey, this is who I am. Um, why don't you guys come train? You know, I've got 40, you know, 45,000 acres here please come train with me, you know, so that I had these connections that, uh, that I can, you know, hopefully in, in case of an emergency, you know, deal with, you know, some type of situation, you know, but unfortunately that never happened, but, but it was, it was definitely fun writing it that way. So.
0: Nice. So that actually, gives you plenty of room for humor too. I don't know if you remember, there's a couple stories where guys would like try to prank their friends with the Bigfoot stuff. And then they end up like the friends, like "Oh hell no grabs a shotgun, thinks Bigfoot is real and takes his friend out or the girl that it it was her boyfriend and she rode him over in the car. Uh, Your your friends messing around on base where people had guns were, uh, we're lucky I should say.
2: Yeah hopefully i don't know who knows if bigfoot is real if sasquatch is real but I want these, these two guys these two guys who were retired they were absolutely certain that what what had scared them you know what they saw they were convinced it was real so now i had a dozen other people saying no way but these two individuals they were they were absolutely convinced you know telling me Colonel, it was real and it scared the hell out of me. So so it was it was fun. It was a lot of fun. So, so.
0: so do you think you might lean more into the cryptids and go more into the paranormal fantasy if you take this into another book? Because you mentioned looking at writing the sequel.
2: Yes. I I think I'm going to. Uh yeah. I'm I, I'm I think I'm probably gonna have the same mix though. Uh so I, I think the next book is probably going to be, you know, Jack Black Eagle doing his protagonist things and, you know, he's going to be fighting bad guys. And then I think there's probably going to be a cryptid somewhere around there who's, who's concerned and is going to possibly help or, I don't know, maybe hinder uh, Jack in the next scenario. So, um, and again, the reason I titled it is Battlefield, Missouri. I suspect. I again, it's still all in my head, but I suspect the next one is going to be titled Battlefield, Iowa. Ooh. So, so I'll just again, I'm I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think. You know, again, it's probably not going to be New York. It's not going to be Washington D.C. It's not going to be the Super Bowl. It might. It could possibly be Iowa. So
1: well, that's more realistic. Of because those are usually soft targets and our enemies would yeah. go for a soft target. You know, yeah. I don't care if there's cryptids in it or not. Um, yeah. But yeah, that they're going to hit the soft targets. Exactly. So that That's it, why it's always unbelievable. When I watch, um, like we watched like some of the diehard movies and it's always DC. Like, like you said, it's the major metropolitan areas or major political mm-hmm. areas. It's like, mm-hmm. no, nope, that's, that's too hard of a target. Like I'm good yeah. at what I did and I wouldn't even
0: touch those things. Did oh, yeah. you see there's plenty of room for what's really been happening? I'm <clears throat> sorry about that. They actually had people randomly and it's, they think it might've been a group preparing for something just show up at some of the power inverter stations and just start shooting at them to take them down. Oh
2: yeah.
0: And there's plenty yeah. of room. And then you hear stories like from guys that were in Bosnia where they were guarding the line between two opposing factions and they didn't have any bullets in their rifle. They had an empty magazine to look intimidating to prevent an international incident. And so they would have had to run backwards to the guardhouse or whatever to get the one magazine. It was Barney Fife-esque. Yeah. So I could see that in the U.S. soil being even worse. Because in theory, you've got cops.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they're, I mean, it. yeah, personally, I think, you know, I mean, I think that if the terrorists go after New York or they go after L.A., well, then they're a bunch. They're really a bunch of dumb terrorists because yes. they're going to shoot. They're going to shoot their wad, and they're not. They're probably not going to accomplish much. You know, I mean, because after nine one one, well, now New York is fairly well prepared. You know, if they yeah. really wanted to make you know a big a big deal, you know, they would go to a place like uh, Peoria. You know, or you know, um, Des Moines, that's, that's yeah. where they could, that's where they could make the big deal, you know?
1: Right.
2: So, so that's, that's kind of what I'm leaning towards, but I'm definitely, I think I'm definitely going to have the cryptid in the, in the second one and, and poss- possibly even in the third one. So, you know.
0: so well, that's, pretty cool. that's just the, the fact that any group of, you know, barely trained infantrymen could come up a way to shut a country down. If you're willing to bleed for your beliefs pretty quickly and the terrorists haven't figured it out shows they're not necessarily the smartest, but I think Mm -hmm. part of it is we assume that they want a tactical victory. One in all likelihood terrorist organization, at least seem to want symbolic victories. So it needs to be big and flashy.
2: Yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is
0: why the, um, the DC sniper, what that that wasn't the trademark that was a one-off instead of you know the the towers and the attempted Mm -hmm. bombing before in the 90s i mean it was because it was flashier Mm -hmm. yeah so yeah Yeah, and i I also think modern military we we're a product of the post vietnam generation so guerrilla warfare is you know more in the training lexicon than probably it used to be Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: i would say 90 percent of my training since day one was um Guerrilla Warfare, asymmetrical warfare, using right.
0: Psyops. You know, So, like What that. can you tell us about the characters that make up the story? Because you know, the, the scenario sounds interesting. I'm definitely curious. And it's Three Ravens publications. So we know there's going to be an audiobook for me down the line because they do yes. audiobooks for everything. Um, mm-hmm. But what can you tell us about your characters?
2: Well, the the
0: protagonist is
2: uh Colonel Jack Black Eagle, and and that's um that's a, a true scenario. Um, again you know these military depots quite often only have one military person assigned they'll have a a lieutenant colonel commander with his family or a colonel commander again depending on the the level of the depot with quite often with his family there's a, i'd say about half of them they literally have a set of quarters on the post you know um, so uh, you know they're they are government quarters so so that scenario is is absolutely true. There's a, there's a military guy, you know, on those depots, and, and he's the commander. Does he have any military subordinates? No, none, zero, you know. Not even like not. a
1: sergeant major or anything?
2: No, no, nothing. Mm-mm. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, uh, some, sometimes the commanders are, are experts in contracting. I wasn't an expert in contracting. I was just a, a logistics guy you know, it all depends on the different command. Um, The Marines have, the Marines have the similar thing. I, I, the Navy, I don't know if the Navy has something similar. The Air Force, again, we, we, they have something similar, but their depots are pretty much right on their air bases. So, You know, the, the, the big depots that are, you know, 45,000 acres or 65,000 acres or 200,000 acres, those are Mm -hmm. army, army things. And we're, we're storing, you know, the Navy's stuff and, and, and the Marines and the air forces stuff for them. So, 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 so you got this military guy, he, he's a, he's an absolute, you know, real part of the scenario and then you got your civilian employees, you got your union employees. Uh, you know, I, I had, you know, unions at all my locations and, and gosh, my union president was, was just the greatest guy. Uh, we got along just so well, you know, so, so I wanted to include, uh, you know, I, I wanted to have the, the union president be a big part of this, uh, of this scenario that I wrote. And so naturally I made him this big giant guy, you know, Vietnam vet who loves to brawl and stuff like that. But yet he's, you know, he's, he's, he's still a patriot. And, you know, so, you know, the fact that he would stand up and say, hell yeah, I'll fight terrorists. No, no problem, you know, as, as well as, as his family members, and then you've got other employees um you know you know even down to truck drivers and things like that um the uh the 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 ones you know i i brought helicopters in so those were people that were off post uh, you know because we didn't we didn't have helicopters you know but but we did hire the helicopter to to come and shoot hogs every once in a while um and 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 i had helicopters in the national guard though around things like that so so i brought i brought uh characters that you know where am i going to get helicopters from well you know there's the hospital there's the local tv station you know so so that's how i brought those those uh in in, in involved and you know is is the helicopter pilot being forced to come in and fight terrorists is he gonna are they all gonna just say hell yeah I'll help no probably not (laughs) you know you know so so I I had that included where you know one was sort of okay with it one was not okay with it you know so what did we do to to get them involved those type of things and and then I had you know how, how is he going to, you know, how's he going to fight? He's going to have to use the resources of his depot. He's going to have to use trucks and he's going to have to use railroad locomotives and things like that because he doesn't have Humvees or, or Bradley's or, uh, you know, APCs or, or tanks, you know? So, so I, I, that's how I incorporated the, the depots, uh, parts into them. And then the characters, you know, some of them are, are, are just, they're just, you know, they're maybe a little bit of this person, a little bit of this person, but, you know, I I just had the most, all three of my locations, I just had the greatest work and relationship with my civilians. So, you know, the fact that I could write where the civilians of the of the show me army depot rally behind, you know, Colonel Jack Black Eagle. It was not hard to write that because because I think if if it ever had happened in real life, I think it would have. It, they The people that I knew would have jumped up and said, what can we do to help you, Colonel? You know, I, I guarantee they would have done that. So.
0: Oh, yeah. So, do you yeah. have any scenes where the um, the union workers like "f me," I don't get paid enough for this, and sort of walks away? That uh, that classic trope uh, that you see. N- no. N- well,
2: no, I didn't. I didn't have that where the union where the union uh, workers did anything like that because I I made I made my protagonist Jack Colonel Jack Black Eagle smart enough to realize that not everybody could could stand up to the terrorists. You know he right. he was able to pick and choose and get what he needed you know and then the others he just said i'm gonna i'm gonna keep you guys in a safe location you know so because i mean i i think i think that's what would really happen yeah i mean you would you would obviously you can't take the 70 year old union employee and say let's go because i did have 70 year old union employees you know they they aren't the ones you want running you know towards the terrorists but
1: yeah you're yeah. not going to ask them to like hey kid up and grab a rifle
2: right you know? exactly yeah but there are others you know sure that that would do the job and i just i just happened to write that the union president was somebody who was like hell yeah let's let's go after them terrorists like right now i'm ready so yeah so in fact the you know uh, quite a bit of the book is my protagonist, Colonel Black Eagle, keeping this union president in line, you know, slow down, slow down. <laughs> you know? Like an ambitious
1: but, lieutenant.
2: Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. So, so. ALT, that was,
1: let's, let's drop back a bit. All right.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So. Yeah.
0: So you've mentioned like a lot, we've got an idea of what to expect from the first book and you got yeah. to glorious cover your daughter made. Presumably your daughter will keep making your covers for yep. follow-ups, what arc do you overall see the story taking? Because you mentioned a second and a third book, is it going to end as a trilogy? Do you think? I, I think it. I if people like it, if people like the book, then yeah, I'm going
2: to try to pursue a trilogy. Um, uh, and and I didn't. I don't think I answered your questions on the cover. I tried to make the cover look like the the soldier, which is supposed to be Captain Black Eagle. Uh, Colonel Black Eagle is in a depot, you know, he's got railroad tracks. Oh, yeah. yeah, he's got railroad tracks. He's got uh, industrial, big industrial buildings. You know, you know, uh, I, I hoped that that is going to capture somebody's attention. Hey, here's a book and it's not Washington, D.C. It's not New York. It's not the Super Bowl. It looks like, you know, this might be right down the street from me. you know so that's what i that's what i was hoping to do there so as 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 far as story arcs you know i you write what you know okay i did a i did a tour in washington dc so i'm probably you know you're probably gonna see colonel black eagle go to washington dc you know and and you know do some stuff there um I lived in Iowa for a while, so you'll probably see Colonel Black Eagle end up in Iowa doing something. So uh, the third book, uh, I I don't uh, the third book I have very very little in that arc. But you know, you'll pro- again you'll probably see maybe Colonel Black Eagle might be Brigadier General Black Eagle at this time. You know, but I suspect I will. S- Stay in the similar. Um, there's risk to Middle America. Probably right. stay in that particular vein. You know, there's risk to Middle America. You know, you know these smart terrorists might be figuring that out. So
1: right. that's kind of
2: what I'm looking at. So I and hope then, he keeps
1: that Remington the, the whole trilogy.
2: Yeah, yeah, he has on the cover. Yeah, big fan of those and i'm glad you saw that because again i want people to realize you know hey he's not holding an m16a2 you know he he's holding a deer rifle with a with a scope you yeah know, from,
1: from what i i'm taking off from yeah i identified as a remington 700 or the uh the m24 yeah. uh the the scope definitely looks like a leopold based on how it's shaped yeah um, i spent a I spent a few years in the sniper section, so it's it's a weapon system that's near and dear to my heart. Excellent. Um, picked up yeah. on that right away. So I'm like, yeah, this colonel's just rocking a yeah. M24, the whole series, I'm in.
2: Yeah, well, that, that's wonderful. I'm glad you saw that, Nick, because that is exactly what I was going for because you'll, as, you, as, you, as readers get in there, you'll find out that he's trying to defend his depot with a, a deer rifle, a .30-06 deer rifle, a 12-gauge yeah. shotgun, a uh, Ruger Mini-14, and a .22-caliber single-action pistol. Yeah. You know, and... So everything
1: huh. he's carrying is not for, like, a full, long, sustained firefight. Right. It's to hit and move, hit and move, hit and move, exactly. hit and move.
0: Yeah. So some of these depots end up with supplies that the Army kept for... Um, paperwork purposes that are long past anything we use. There's rumors and I have confirmed some of it uh that the army still has stockpiles of wool for uniforms we haven't made since I mean, we haven't made wool uniforms for a good while. So yeah, do you yeah. have do you have the, the have you added some of the more old stuff just for uh set dressing almost like what the hell am I going to do with this 1863 Springfield or something? I I didn't put it in there. No, I I
2: didn't do anything like that. It you're right though. This stuff like that exists, uh, in my depot, uh, in, uh, Missouri, uh, in, um, Oklahoma. Um, I still had uh, 16 inch battleship shells. I had a lot of them, you know, um, and in fact, I, I had an entire, uh, warehouse Full of um, I think it was rayon sheets and sheets and sheets of this fabric well that fabric was used to bag the propellant that pushed out the 16 inch battleship shell okay so uh, um, you know yeah when when I was at Fort Bragg um, I could go into the magazines there and there was uh, there was a World War II German, um, I think it was, a, well, there was, basically, there was boxes there with World War II German markings on them, and they held the uh, rounds for the World War II German Mauser rifle. Oh, so, wow. Wow. So, I mean, but I suspect that was more for supporting uh, the Special Forces guys who were there, but, but yeah, we... We have a lot of that stuff because sometimes it's it's very difficult to get rid of it. Um, you know, it, it takes money to get rid of that stuff, and sometimes you know the army puts money into building new stuff versus actually demilitarizing the old stuff because I'm I'm just you gonna to, you have to go and demilitarize it. You can't you can't bury it in a landfill or well. You know, after World War II, we used to dump it in the ocean. We don't do that anymore. So So if
0: the Pentagon is listening, because he's a colonel, they might spy on him. We don't know how that works for flag officers. (laughs) Uh, If you're listening, all you have to do to get rid of it is say, hey, America, do you want this? And you'll find 12 rednecks per square inch volunteering. Like, you'll have them all crammed in whatever building you're doing your donations from. It'll be like Christmas in July. I promise you, people will take them. Yeah, Nick's already planning how he can cut the line.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's as bad as it used to be, but because like the wool, I had never heard the wool, that story before. Um, although I, I do remember seeing a 60 Minutes show, oh, it was probably 20 years ago, where he went to, where they went to Letterkenny Army Depot, which is a big depot in Pennsylvania, and they were looking through, you know, they were finding uniforms that were 50 years old and things like that. So, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I went into one magazine once in uh, Fort Lewis, and it had Vietnam-era weaponry. So it had, like, M-21s, Yeah. yeah. Um, the, M- the M-78, you know, the old Thumper, you know. So I was like, man, we yeah. really do hold on to this stuff forever. Because they ended up showing up in Iraq years later.
0: You know,
1: oh, did they really? M21. Yeah, we were getting M21s brought in for the no uh, SWAT uh, SDMs.
0: Yeah, that's and, what I carried. Uh, like I, I carried the M21. My first unit that I deployed with was a National Guard unit, or my second one, excuse me. I actually checked into Camp John Kuwait with an M16A1, and then we had to turn those in, and then they gave us the A2s, I think, because yeah. the a, I don't think we had A3s. And then next thing I know, as I was out processing, everyone had the A4s. But only only the super special squirrels that never left Kuwait got the M mm. fours. So, and it yeah. can be a difficult to maneuver. It's interesting some of the old stuff you find. I would love to see if you're going to do future books. I'd like to see you incorporate some of that, even okay. for just uh, grins and giggles. Of how the hell do I even use this? I nobody's fired one of these forever.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's that's well, a good.
0: Idea. I got an M seventy
1: eight. That seemed pretty stupid simple it's like okay i just need to know where this latch is to make it go oh there it is all right and then i put my round in it i'm like okay i got it figured out so uh, 21 a- came with an instruction manual and i'm like
0: one yeah, of the okay. um weapons that was at the uh um valley forge national park service the historic park i was an intern there for grad school uh they actually had one of its weapons that was a, a period flintlock had been stuck in the back of an armory uh, in the Pennsylvania National Guard, it just it buried in a crate with wood, like a straw or whatever surrounding it. And it just kept getting shoved in the back like the box is there. Check. Move on to the inspection. And one day someone said, hey, let's open some of these boxes and see what the hell is in there. And they started finding some really old stuff that ended up in the museum.
2: Oh, wow. So, so I the
0: military is really bad at this.
2: You asked if I incorporated a, 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 an, an antique weapon sort of I, I sort of did it in the book um you know the the jet colonel jack blackingle he he has no choice and in order to close with the enemy he literally has to ride his depot's locomotives to the to get to the enemy right right well those locomotives what i wrote in the book and, and because it's true those locomotives were made probably in 1975 1976 and i don't know if you guys ever remember but a long time ago they the united states military they they proposed a concept where they were going to put uh, icbm's on trains and they were going to run these trains around the central united states so that the soviets couldn't you know find them and shoot them Instead of having them in uh, missile silos in North Dakota or whatever, well, they did they ended up not doing that. And so all those locomotives went to the depots. and that's what I had. I had those locomotives, and that's what in my book uh, he uses those locomotives to close with the enemy. So So I guess I did use an antique weapon system to go after the uh, to go after the bad guys.
0: So nice. I like it. Yeah. So, well, we promised the uh, dear listener that we try to keep these to an hour, and uh, we could have a lot of fun talking about all the weird stuff that you'll find in army depots. Um, and if you don't believe us, just go look at there. You can find some of the stuff the finds on the on the internet uh, when they just buy surprise lots, and then the people that buy in bulk are opening and like, what the hell? Oh, I got to return this. I'm not even legally allowed to own this machine gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. it, it's always interesting what people find hidden some supply sergeant just forgot about it. And then the guy that received it never bothered to open. It's like that box is supposed to be there. That box is there. Move on. Uh, and so that kind of stuff gives you a lot of fertile ground to have some fun. I mean, could you imagine using a blunderbuss on those terrorists with some yeah. from, the, from the gravel just right in front of you? Like that could be <laughs> hilarious. Uh, and if you do it, they have to scream tally ho just for like ambiance. Right. Exactly.
2: Well, yeah, yeah, It's
0: yeah. on the instruction
1: manual. Absolutely. It's in the dash
0: 10. Uh, you know, there probably is still one floating around from back then. It would not surprise me. Uh, yeah. But with that being said, um, you mentioned that you're going to write the sequel to this uh, and, and take this out to a trilogy. Are you writing anything else at the moment?
2: Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm writing. A, like I said, I've got a techno thriller that uh, is um, uh, probably again half, maybe half to three quarters done, and. I'm trying to write that um, I guess I'm trying to capture in that all the stuff that we're seeing in Ukraine nowadays. you know I'm I'm trying to capture a, a conflict that would that would occur and trying to show what would be what will warfare might be like, 25 to 30 years from now, you know, with with, you know, I mean, the drones that are happening, the drone warfare that's happening in Ukraine right now, um, you know, is really the I guess you'd say it's the infancy and a lot of it is off the shelf and stuff like that. Well, what might that look like 30 years from now, you know, in a in a near peer conflict so I'm I'm working on something like uh, on that and and I'll tell you, I I am struggling because I I think I have to literally be more creative. I'm probably being too conservative. I'm I'm writing and I'm saying, no, they wouldn't they wouldn't be doing that in 30 years. And I'm, then I'll sit back and while I said, yeah they probably will be they probably be way beyond so so i'll write something and then i have to go back and rethink it and say you know i think i need to relook this and 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 make it you know so that you know i mean i i don't want to be i don't want to be science fiction but i don't at the same time want to short you know what this ukraine war is showing us in terms of you know drones and artillery and targeting and things like that so so hopefully i'll have that i don't know done in a a year or so i i tend to write in the winter because i i live in illinois in western illinois i'm about a mile from the mississippi river and i'll tell you january february and march i really don't like to go outside it's just so cold here so that's when i spend most of my time writing you know um when it when it warms up then i i go out and i'm i'm working on my i have a little hobby farm and i'm working on my farm or i'm working on my garden and things like that so so hopefully i'll have that done in a year or so so
0: nice all right and um where can listeners find you on the internet and then we will link to all of your social medias in the show notes
2: okay well i'm i'm on facebook uh i'm on um uh, Twitter, which is now called X, I'm on Instagram. I need to again. I won't. I won't have anything really on. I don't want to put anything on until the book goes live on December eighth. Um, but I also need to set up a, a website and uh, get some other things going. But uh, but that's the three things right now. Um, and then again should be on december 8th amazon barnes and noble will you'll be able to find the book and we're going to do uh hardback paperback and then ebook and then i think probably maybe by hopefully by march we'll have the audio book done
0: so all right outstanding all right and uh this episode if you're listening dear listener it is january 2024 so happy new year as well um but we're recording this in December before the book is out. So just for the record, like this book will already be out when you're listening. Uh, and you will be only two months away from the audiobook, And it will be divine. It will be grand. You will love it. So go buy, uh, it. Just go buy it, read it, review it. Make sure you leave it a couple stars over on Amazon. It is being sold by Three Ravens. They are a publisher that goes wide. So if you buy it on any other platforms, leave a review there as well. Also, there's Goodreads. Um, and all the other places you can review it really does help especially a debut author on their first book i cannot tell you how crucial that is for a first book for an author to get those because it it teaches the algorithms to pimp them and when that's your first book there is nothing else for the algorithms to go by so uh, so it really does help so please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms uh with that being said You can find us over on our Linktree, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E, Linktree slash Blasters and Blades podcast, where we link to all the things, the bit shoots, the rumbles, the Twitters, the emails, for professional and business purposes only. We link to our Blasters and Blades Facebook group and Facebook page. And we link to Madam Stabby Stabs, Instagram, Twitter, and email, where all the fun shenanigans can happen. Keep her entertained. She's doing the housewife uh, homeschool thing right now. And uh, Nick doesn't want her to go crazy because then she goes crazy on him with that knife, and it just gets she, ugly. He's adult interaction throughout the day. Right, man. and to be <laughs> fair, he's sick of cleaning his own blood up. I mean, because it's one thing to get stabbed, but then to have to clean your own stuff up, it's just insult to injury. It's
1: all right. I went through some, see. I know how to suture myself up.
0: Yeah, but I mean, getting it out of the carpet over and over again, that has to get old. So do uh, your – We got hardwood, after. man. Make, mops are, I
1: make the boy mop it up.
0: I'm oh, so my a blood, boy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You can follow us on our website at anchor.fm slash blasters Tech and blades. Again, anchor.fm slash blasters Tech and tack blades, where you can support the show for as little as 99 cents a month. You can help keep the lights on. Speaking of keeping the lights on, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash author JR Hanley. Again, buymeacoffee.com slash author J.R. Hanley. Be sure to put it in the comment section. It is for the podcast. And I promise I will keep my co hosts duly caffeinated. They will drink until the coffee ports out their eyeballs uh the good news is there is talk that buy me a coffee will let one paypal account because that's how it links link to two different facings so if they let us the minute that happens to avoid confusion we will make one just for the blasters and blades and then you know the people that want to donate to me directly can do it separately but until that they allow us to do that please if it's for the podcast put podcast and that money goes to cover overhead um it costs us about 150 dollars a year to run the show uh, and then anything extra goes to our coffee fund. Speaking of good coffee, go to buy me or buy me a coffee, go to coffeebrandcoffee.com. We've got a link in the show notes and use the code podcast grunts and you get 10% off. And their coffee is delicious. Uh, once we were um, accepted the affiliate, we decided to test it before we recommended it because we didn't want to show stuff we didn't like. And I think the affiliate program is really just a scam to hook the uh, the affiliates into buying their stuff because now I'm addicted. Yeah. It could be like the the first hits free kind of deal because oh, yeah. they give you a discount when you buy your first one as an affiliate. And now I'm like, oh, you son of a biscuit eater. This is my third refill. Uh,
1: yeah. Every time I make a purchase, I got to buy three things. I got to buy the blueberry. I got to buy the bourbon and I got to get the uh, the s'mores.
0: The s'mores is delicious. And the cool thing about this, dear listener, because you know we're an American podcasting group with American roots, no, unashamedly so. And so we try to support American businesses where possible. And we encourage you, if you're listening abroad, support local businesses too. I don't care where you're from. Yeah, if you're in England, support English businesses. It really does make a difference for the local mom and pops. But Coffee Brand Coffee is a local business, made, shipped, uh, and all of that in the U.S. which is yeah, kind of Arizona, cool. I think. I think so. Um, so, yeah, do your part, people. And if you really want some gourmet coffee and you want to, you know, splurge, this is the, definitely the place to go. And they do gift boxes, teas, hot chocolates, candies – Oh, they're running so many sales right now, too. I don't know if they're going to still be going in. Probably in January, the sales will be like, you have your Christmas gift cards. Spend them here.
1: Oh, yeah. I forget that part.
0: Yeah, we record in advance. You got to remember, Nick. But uh, with that being said, thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For my crazy co-host, I am J.R. Hanley, and this was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom. Thank you for coming on Arnold. We really appreciate it. Again, dear listener, Arnold Montgomery, go check his book out. Links are in the show notes and have a wonderful evening.